What's the latest threat to parental rights? When the state has the power to take away your daughter and make her someone else's son. It's Friday, February 15th, 2019, and I'm Andrew Beck with President and General Counsel for Massachusetts Family Institute. You're listening to the Mass Family Update, your source for the latest insight on the intersection of faith, family, and freedom in the Commonwealth. Well, I received a number of emails this week, all containing a link to the same article in The Federalist that came out on Tuesday by an attorney named Margo Cleveland. The headline was, LGBT activists teaching judges to yank kids from parents who won't transgender them. Now, that's uh, a lot to comprehend, but as I have described this phenomenon in the past, when I talk at churches or in the media about what is going on is that there is a movement to allow the state through the court systems with the cooperation of the medical professions to take youth who are struggling with their gender identity away from parents who are opposed to hormone treatments and puberty blockers. And this is a real concern. It sounds sort of far-fetched when you first hear about it, but as we've seen Repeatedly now, this is actually happening. And the way I summarize it is that the state is accumulating the power to take away, for example, your teenage daughter and make her someone else's son. Now, in this article in The Federalist, attorney Margot Cleveland says that transgender activists have a plan. It's to use the government to force parents to affirm a false sex for their child, agree to hormone blockers, and accept a transition to their son or daughter's preferred gender. And if parents refuse, removal of the child from the family due to alleged medical neglect. And that's how this works. How is it possible that children can be taken away from their parents because the parents don't want to have them injected with puberty blockers and artificial hormones? Well, the way it works is that you now have a large swath of the medical profession who are actively and vocally saying that to refuse cross-sex hormones or puberty blockers to youth uh, is medical neglect or even in some cases child abuse because these treatments are medically necessary. Now this actually, this fact pattern actually occurred here in Massachusetts about a year ago. Uh, There's a great article about it in the New Boston Post, which we'll have a link to the podcast online. But what happened was a... uh, A mother from Burlington, Massachusetts, reached out to my office and informed me that her 17-year-old daughter was the subject of a custody dispute with her father, the ex-husband of the the mother, uh, who was seeking a custody modification. The father was because this young woman was identified uh, by hospital staff as being a transgender boy, so she had gender identity dysphoria or gender identity issues. And the mother is trying to get her counseling to affirm her own you know, bodily reality, feel comfortable in her own skin as a young woman. But both the medical professionals and the biological father wanted her to get hormones, to transition to being a boy. Uh, the mother fought that and almost uh, lost custody of the daughter. Fortunately, we were able to help her out, get some testimony from a pediatric endocrinologist who testified to the court that these hormone treatments and puberty blockers are really dangerous. They can cause infertility, 
put children at risk for cancers, uh, increase cardiovascular disease risk, uh, and the suicide rates actually are higher for young people who go on these radical treatments. Again, sort of not surprising, but that's what's being pushed. Uh, you had the Fenway Clinic, which has nothing to do with baseball, but they submitted testimony to the court that this, uh, these treatments, these gender-affirming affirm, hormones are medically necessary and that this young woman should have access to a gender-affirming mental health therapist as soon as possible and that youth and adults whose gender transitions are rejected by their families face increased risk of suicide. Making gender-affirming care inaccessible is incredibly dangerous. So this is how the transgender activists tee this up in the courts, is that, look, this treatment's medically necessary, uh, and affirming cross-gender identities and treatments are a requisite step to prevent increased risk of suicide. So basically, you've got to have your kid transition if they want to transition hormonally and otherwise, or they're going to kill themselves. And so when you have you know, an increased risk, substantial increased risk of suicide, you know, courts look at that, they look at a medical determination that this is medically necessary, and that sort of lays the legal groundwork to declare that the parents are either abusing the child or committing medical neglect, and so they lose custody. And the custody is given to some other family that's willing to go along with this stuff. So very concerning. Um, that's why I wanted to make sure that we bring it to your attention. We'll have that article in the Federalist linked. Please read it. Uh, one of the doctors quoted in that article is Dr. Michelle Cretella from Rhode Island, and she is a pediatrician who serves as the executive director of the American College of Pediatricians. And I had an opportunity to speak with her this week in light of that article, and I'm happy to share that with you now. Well, thank you for taking time to speak with me. I was happy to see your comments in the article in The Federalist this week. Yeah, it's um, it's really quite frightening um, given how – this is just so unscientific, the whole transgender uh, claim. There's, there's absolutely no science behind it. Um, it's pure indoctrination of our children. You framed it as sort of being in three waves of increasing severity and the threat to the family. Can you sort of unpack that a little bit for us? Sure. So initially, um, I was receiving calls from parents involved in divorce cases. Um, and um, the stories were virtually the same. They typically involved a daughter around the age of 15 who may have had a history of depression or anxiety um, or in some cases autism as a child, young child. Um, but then once her parents went through the divorce, um, not only did the depression and anxiety increase, but the daughters started to um, claim they were transgender. Mm. And um, with this, rather than <laughs> taking a step back and think, you know, maybe this is the daughter's uh, reaction to the divorce and the worsening of their previous psychological problems, the judges and um, health care pro uh, professionals involved automatically 
give her the diagnosis of, nope, this is definitely transgender, and they will favor the parent who wants to give her puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones. And wow. So in virtually, um, I mean, I, I've heard from parents in at least seven different states, but I know through, from colleagues this is happening across the country. Um, that was going to be my next question, is this sort of, yeah localized in the you know the northeast or the west coast but it's it's all over the country no it is literally happening across the across the country um and i think what's even more frightening than the divorce cases um you the children are literally being you know placed with the parent who wants to go along with this very toxic uh, medical pathway um but I think what's even worse or scarier is when both parents are on the same page. I mean, as an example, I, I heard from I've heard from families who have brought their children to the emergency room department, mm-hmm. and usually it's for a, 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 again the child could be between the ages of 14 and 17, has a history of depression, and um, starts either hurting themselves or making suicidal threats. So the parents have to bring the child to the ER. And the evaluating emergency room physician may elicit the um, admission from the child that, yeah, you know, I'm not really sure about my sex. I don't always feel like a, uh, like a guy or I don't always feel like a girl. So these interviews happen, in other words, because they're teenagers, the physician doesn't just talk to the teen with the parents present, but also talks to the teen alone. Um, right. So all of a sudden the parents are brought back into the room and told, you know what, this is all because your child is transgender and we have to admit him or her and um, get this process going. And I have wow. been, um, yeah, I, I mean, I'm hearing, I have heard from a couple families in which that happened and, um, they actually had to get attorneys to prevent having their child taken away from them out of their custody. Um, and that is what you, I think, term sort of the second wave, so the first wave being when you have yeah, a, so a divorce. Wave, right. First wave, you have the divorce, and so it's sort of parent pitted against parent. And then mm. second wave, now you have both parents on the same page fighting against the so-called medical gender experts, um, and now uh, between, well, I would say coming, moving into wave three, parents are outright being labeled um, abusive parents and being reported to Child Protective Services if, they, if their child comes out and says that they are trans or non-binary and the parents don't want to support that child's delusion. Um, Mm-hmm. Physicians are actually, if they can't convince the parents to go along, physicians are reporting parents as abusive to Child Protective Services. So that's sort of the, the third wow. wave. And this third wave also includes schools. Yes. You know, thanks to um, HRC, Human Human Rights Council, thank I think. You, human right. Rights, thank you. I'm sorry, yeah. Human Rights yeah. Council. That's virtually, the blue square with the gold yellow equality sign. That, uh, uh, right. Yeah. Equality, equality for everyone except for those of us who uh, are sane, uh, especially if you're Christian. Um, yeah. 
no equality for us. But um, I encountered sort of the some of the legal foundations for this wave three here in Massachusetts in our uh, counseling ban legislation that we've been fighting. Okay. I just saw it was refiled for this session, 2019-2020. Um, and the Senate version of the bill, like the versions last session, they, they make it uh, illegal to give gender-affirming or sort of positive uh, biblical-type counseling, talk therapy to minors on this issue. But they also label it statutorily as child abuse if you, for example, take your biological daughter to a counselor to help her feel comfortable in her own skin and not give her, you know, hormones and puberty blockers. So that would make it that much easier for DCF or family court to label what we would see as healthy, normal parenting as abusive. And then in the schools, you're absolutely right. I was in Westford, Mass., uh, at a public school committee hearing last year. And they implemented a transgender policy, but and part of that policy, uh, the part that really got parents riled up, even more than the whole bathroom locker room situation, mm. was that it labeled parents who, again, didn't go along with the gender identity ideology or homosexual behavior as, quote, highly rejecting. Right. Uh, and if parents are highly rejecting, then the school is told by this policy not to inform them mm. of, you know, let's say they have a son who comes to school he says he's a girl, he wants to present as female, but tells the administration, my parents aren't okay with this, I'm not safe at home. Right. They'd be labeled as how they're rejecting, and they wouldn't be informed. And I think you're absolutely right, that is going to lay the groundwork for <clears throat> DCF getting involved and, and the parents losing custody. Correct, at the level of the schools. Right. Um, it's, it, it really is, it is terrifying. I mean, I don't know, from the legal perspective, what do you advise parents and communities to do at this point? Well, I mean, we're we're doing our research now because this is a cutting edge area of the law. And when it comes to the specific question of, because I get this phone call regularly, you know, parents take their teenage kids to the doctor's office for their annual checkup. They got to get a, a physical done for youth sports, and their child will be getting checked up at the doctor. The parent, the parents in the room, oftentimes the mom, and the doctor will say, "Okay, I've got to." do a physical exam, you want to step out of the room, the mom does, and just like you said, they ask them all these questions. And legally, if the child says that they're either sexually active or questioning their identity or questioning their orientation or think they might be pregnant or might have an STD, that then triggers a a confidentiality so that the physician is prohibited by law to share that information, diagnosis, or any treatment stemming from that diagnosis with the parents. So theoretically, you could have a child, a teenage girl go in, Say she thinks she's a boy, a boy. And, and get prescribed hormones. Without and, the parents knowing. Without the parents even knowing. Um, so, you know, what I advise, what I tell parents to do is look, uh, like, like when I took my boys, 15 and 14, mm. for their physical, I just stayed in the room. You know, the doctor asked if I wanted to leave. I said no. And, you know, it was fine. And so it may be a little awkward, but if you don't leave, then there can't be any confidentiality. So I would, right. I would recommend parents not leave. Um, as a start, but yeah. like I said, this is a new area of the law. We've, we've got to get this figured out. I, I think I've also, you know, my my standby was always to advise parents to be very proactive with their schools and mm. have very pointed discussions with teachers. Um, but it, it is crazy. It is it is getting so difficult to really know to actually be 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 
shown the curricula or the, the teaching materials that they're going to use for gender. That's right. Because it's pervasive it's through all the different... through uh, every classroom, not right. just health education, not just sex education. I just um, had an email about that this morning. Yeah. Uh, so from a mom. Uh, so now I, I'm... I tell parents, look, um, and, and you have to be careful. I mean, if you if you can afford it uh, or have, if you have benefit of a Christian school or mm-hmm. Catholic school, don't assume, <laughs> don't right. assume that they're okay. You still have to be very pointed and proactive. But if you find one that you trust, all right. But short of short of that, um, I'm more in favor of homeschooling every day. If and yeah. I know. I know it varies by state in terms of how difficult or, or easy it can be to do that. Right, and I know it can be very hard or, and you know, just un- impractical or almost impossible for some parents. And it, right. what makes it well, so hard to be a parent nowadays right. is that it, it is. seems like all the institutions that are supposed to support you as a parent That's are working right. actively against you in these areas, including the medical profession. It seems overwhelmingly. So you're a pediatrician. Mm. You, you see that the science, the, you know, the true science and research doesn't go along with this stuff. But no, you know, why are so many pediatricians buying into it, or are they just scared to talk about it? I believe, and my colleagues believe, that the vast majority are have been scared into silence. Um, is absolutely a top-down uh, tyranny and movement. Um, the the very um, few experts who are just in positions of leadership in the American Academy of Pediatrics, um, the American Psychological and Psychiatric Associations. They have, t- those, those organizations also have tentacles, uh, that reach into academia. So, in truth, the vast majority knows this does not make sense and knows that it has to be harmful. But because it's a top-down imposition, as soon as you speak up, you are fired. Um, hmm. I had, and I've had psychologists and, and physicians across the country call me and say, thank you, thank you, American College of Pediatricians, thank you, Dr. Cortella, for speaking out. If I were to say anything, I'd lose my job. Um, yeah. And And even those who are in a position where maybe job security isn't, as much of an issue, the harassment you face, should you say anything, is is just so severe. Um, yeah. Now that said, we, we have to band together and we have to speak, we have to push back, because if we don't, who will? That's right. And in this case, it's it's not just about jobs, the, the lives of our children and our families' integrities are at stake. And well, I thank you and the American College of Pediatricians for the work that you do. And for folks who are listening, they can learn more at ACPEDS, acpeds.org. Absolutely. And I thank you so much for sharing some of your precious time with us. And we'll continue to pray for you and your mission as we thank seek you. to strengthen families. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Andrew. Take, Take care. care. Bye-bye. Well, I'm so glad we have doctors like Michelle Cortella and her team at the American College of Pediatricians who are bravely telling the truth and refusing to go along with this unprecedented manipulation of our children's minds and bodies. Now, if a child in your family or some family that you know is struggling with gender identity issues and you're looking for pro-family resources on this issue, please email me 
at andrew at mafamily.org, andrew at mafamily.org. My staff and I will do everything we can to help. And that's all the time we have for today. If you want to learn more about our work at Massachusetts Family Institute, visit our website at mafamily.org. Thank you for listening, and be encouraged to stand strong for life, marriage, and religious liberty in the Bay State. You're not alone. We're here to support you and your family. Thank you.